For November 14th, 2016, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 437. Don't pretend you were never playing with power. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The Overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet. We're never happier than when we're hanging out and talking about uh, things that are interesting to us, like our favorite movies, our favorite TV shows, our favorite music, uh, all kinds of pop culture phenomenon. But tonight we're going to do something a little unusual. Uh, we're going to do something that I don't normally let us do because of my own particular uh, dispositions and, and proclivities. And, and to join me, uh, I have Pete Fenzel. Uh, hello, Pete. Hello, Matthew. How are you? And I'm Matt Rather. And, and it's one of our, uh, it's one of our storied two handers. Now, now anyone who knows this podcast knows that, uh, I often will avoid a certain topic, uh, because of my antipathy for it. You know, I, that's fair to say, right, Pete? Oh, yeah, I think so. I think especially the more that people know you, the more we know that you're just not interested. Right. And it's a it's a combination of, um, uh, you know, uh, I I mean, I feel like in, in certain cases you have a duty to know what's going on out there in the world, you know, because these these things are a big deal. There's a huge industry behind them. You know, they're consequential for a lot of people. And yet. You know, as I, I also believe that you have to kind of clean house mentally to the extent that you're able to, and keep your, you know, and and uh, just not um, let not let all kinds of uh, noise disrupt the signal in in your head. That's usually the argument that I that I make about this. But it's been uh, impossible to ignore this week that something momentous has happened, wouldn't you say? Well, yeah. I mean, I think. It's probably it's affected me in a way that it hasn't affected you. Well, but, it has. You know, I mean, it's like, still affected everybody. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely well. You're absolutely right. And I mean, I I guess I guess I have a, a confession to make, which is that I didn't participate in this. Uh, I was a non-combatant. Like you, didn't even, you didn't even try. No. You didn't even try. No. I, I mean. Well, look. You had one window. You had one window, one opportunity, and you didn't just didn't even try. Yeah, I live in a market that is large and sort of homogenous, and I figured that my attempt wouldn't wouldn't really make a difference uh, where I was. Well, I know? mean, look. Let's just to be fair. Nobody expected it to turn out. Certainly, I didn't expect it to turn out for me the way that it that it has. Yeah, it's been it's been a very big surprise, big shock that it even happened at all. Well, emotion, I uh, mean, really emotional in a surprising way, ups and downs. Right? Really surprising when you see it. It's it's really surprising. It really gets you. It really hits you. Yeah, um, that and and that you really it really makes you question. I think a lot about sort of the way you grow up, the the way you grew up, especially yes. things that yeah. you believed, things that you believed were true. Did I uh, actually like? this did i ever like this was i ever that person right right yeah and and to to sort of really force you to kind of take a long uh, a long hard look at yourself and in some of the reactions and in some of the things that you you read so upset i know on the internet like and and but uh, well they they fall into yeah they fall into a couple a couple of camps some people are upset some people are very triumphal uh some people uh want to say sort of i told you so you know right. there's a lot there there's a lot of different camps that that uh you know that people fall into and and this is again i mean i try to stay out of this sort of discourse to the extent that's possible but you've delved into it right i mean yeah i mean, i'm i'm neck deep in it right now like this is something that affects my life Right. It affected my life right before I got in this podcast. Yeah. Um, so, so I, yeah, it's I guess it's worth coming out and, and saying what we're talking about. Like like Pete, uh, you know, I, I, I can't bring myself to just because of my own personal rule against getting involved in, in this I sort of thing. I, all right. I'll, I'll say it. Yeah. I mean, I it's, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. I was going to. I know It's hard because it makes it real in a way. Right. I got it. I don't want to I got I got it was for my girlfriend, but it's for both of us. We got an NES classic edition, Matt. 
we got one of those little NESs, those little Nintendos that they have. And, yeah. and it, it was only it was only available on Amazon for like one minute. And we were all refreshing and, and we got it and it happened. And I didn't expect it to happen. Wow. I didn't expect it to happen to me. Right. I know that a lot of people out there are, are sad and they're upset um, that they that they didn't get an NES Classic Edition or even that it's something that people care about. Right. Or it's something that anybody wanted. Right. This this old fashioned video game machine, this miniature Nintendo about the size of like a, a smaller than an iPad, even that you just right. plug into your TV and you can play 38 bit Nintendo games on. And you don't care about video games at all. Like, no, I don't. I, no, no, right. It's like, and this is one of this is one of these things. Like, I've stayed away from video game discourse. I mean, since, since I mean, I guess when I was young, I had a subscription to Nintendo Power, just like the rest of us did. But uh, but since then, yeah, it just well, no. You were playing with power then, and now people are playing with. Don't pretend that you were never playing with power. <laughs> I yeah, but it's uh in how long in, can we keep this charade know, in the discourse in the discourses of power? It's uh I've declared myself a, a, a non combatant. Um so uh in honor of this uh momentous occasion, Pete, uh question of the week for us. What thing what new thing, what other thing should we bring back but smaller? What other phenomena like as the the nintendo entertainment system was miniaturized uh using modern technology i mean they probably could have made it even smaller than they did um (laughs) probably probably how many how many nintendo entertainment systems can you fit on the head of a pin right Uh, i just want to say we didn't draw the comparison we just did just to be glib there's a point to all this there's a point yeah there's, there's a question of the week but there is a point we're doing this all for reasons but anyway, sorry. Continue. Yeah, I was I was going to trust everyone to 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 have known us long enough to know that we probably just weren't fiddling while Rome burns, right? Like we weren't we weren't just uh... we were playing Doctor Mario on our <laughs> NES Classic Edition. Um, so, uh, like the NES Classic Edition, what thing should we bring back? But smaller uh i'm gonna drink Uh, i've been drinking a lot this week (laughs) while pete answers the question so i one thing i've been talking about a lot this week is i've been talking about the xander zone are you familiar with the xander zone matt you know the xander zone i i've been welcomed to it welcome to the xander zone right uh and i believe and i'm not getting my references crossed because there's a number of xanders right there's a number of pop culture xanders but my impression is the xander zone is the general scope of experience that is shared with uh, Xander Cage, a.k.a. Triple X, a.k.a. the most extreme and most oft-captured secret agent in the history, uh, recent history of Vin Diesel playing a secret agent. Uh, The Xander Zone uh, is is coming back. The return of Xander Cage is coming. And and I've been talking about this is Triple X3, right? So X1, you could call it X1, X1, X1. Equals X triple X three. Um, you could probably reduce it if it's triple X to the third. Then it could actually just be X to the fifth. But at any rate, never mind. Uh, the point is that triple X is coming out, and Vin Diesel is going to be jumping down, you know, uh, rainforest mountains on parabolic skis, and they're going to be street illusion with machine guns or something. It, there, I know I've seen there's motorcycles that are riding on the waves like surfboards, and I've been I've been asking myself. Given how worked up everybody is about the NES Classic Edition that everybody is talking about on the internet nonstop this week, everybody's so upset, people are so distressed about the NES Classic Edition, uh, when will it be appropriate to post the trailers, the gossip, the updates from the upcoming Triple uh, X, The Return of Xander Cage. When would it be okay to cross again into the Xander zone? And I think that depends on who you are. I think it depends on your friends. It depends certainly on, you know, I mean, you might be having the kind of week where it's like, bring it on. You know, things happen the way that I wanted to. I got an NES Classic Edition and I'm in the Xander zone. Give me that Triple X preview. But people might be, you know what, now's not the time. You know, I, I, I want, it's not that I don't want to see uh, Paris, para, parasailing gunfights. Right. It's not that I don't want to see. <laughs> it's not that I don't want to see cameos by a dozen of the hottest stars of the X Games. Right. It's not that I don't want to. Uh, you know, it's not that I don't want to save the world and look dope doing it. It's just I can't do it now. Right. I can't do it now. So at some point in the future, 
we'll all enter the Xander zone. And I was thinking that what I'd love to do is I'd love to just bring it back just little, just very little, just the triple the, the trailer to triple X, the return of Xander Cage. I would just like to make it really small and just just dash it in there, just like toss it in there. And if anybody any, and in fact, I would even like to see showings of triple X, the return of, return of Xander Cage, where it's just like tiny little screen, just tiny little projection on the screen. If you can't take if not, if you can't take it, because it's not a value judgment. Every, everybody has their reason. But if you if you don't really want to fully go into the Xander zone, I, it's not my place to tell you that that you show. Oh, you know, you need to get over yourself and get in the Xander zone. Oh, come on. The fact that you ignored the Xander zone the whole time has been the problem. Right. You know, these Ice Cube was a poor substitute. You know, everyone knows that Xander Cage uh, and then it's like Ice Cube. Oh, you got to bring up Ice Cube. Now it gets personal. Oh, no, it all gets really complicated. No, look. I'm not here to tell you that you have to be in the Xander zone. I am just here to shape and package the Xander zone for you in a way that if you want it, it's there. Right. So maybe it means like a little bit of Xander zone, like a tiny bit, like a little like a little dash in your coffee or tea in the morning. Just like like a little like a sugar cube with a tiny LED screen on the side that plays the teaser trailer for Triple X featuring Samuel L. Jackson, right? The immortal Samuel L. Jackson, because uh, 2016 sure can't do it get any worse than it already has. The immortal, knock on wood, knock on wood, knock on wood. The immortal Samuel L. Jackson uh, talking about talking about how how the world uh, shall be saved by um, sketching. Did I talk? Have I have I really run the gamut on all of the possible half pipe snowboarding? Uh, that's an Olympic sport now. Things have gotten so much less extreme in the extreme world. <laughs> the point is, everybody needs a little Xander zone, and I want to bring that to people who need it. I mean, and- I would I would like to to sort of propose that we do this as a. Um- like a merchandise for Christmas. And what it is, is it's like, uh, you know, what is, um, like acrylic or something. It's a circle. It's a hoop. It's a maybe 24 inch diameter hoop, uh, made out of, made out of acrylic that, uh, goes on the ground and, uh, and you can step into it. And when you step into it, you enter the Xander zone. Um, no, I mean, I, I feel like there's, there's a, uh, you know, I feel like, uh, as with exercising the franchise in, oh, say, a presidential election, um, there's the Xander zone. I mean, that, just just for the sake of comparison, just bring that up as a total hypothetical. Yeah, just right? hi- hypothetical yeah. or any yeah. any choice that you make in the context of a pluralistic society, I suppose. Right. There's entering the Xander zone and then there's being kind of dragged into the Xander zone. Right. Right. Like you, you can uh, uh, of all the zones, Xander being. Uh, merely the the dopest and the the saving the worldest um, that uh, that sometimes you know um, some men are born in the Xander zone some men achieve the Xander zone and some men uh, have the Xander zone <laughs> thrust upon, thrust upon like, them like like Xander Cage did in Triple X well that's what I mean right like that's stupid in Triple X State of the Union uh-huh. what I'm what I what I'm saying is that like in the first time he says welcome to the Xander zone and and uh, it's my understanding that the first the first Triple X which by the way is a cinematic masterpiece and if you don't believe that I have no time for you as a person that uh, is unnecessarily polarizing <laughs> i just want to say that i empathize with people who have a wide variety of feelings about triple x the original triple x and i'm willing to talk to you regardless of how you feel or not talk to you or hear your voice whatever you think about triple x matters right it matters to me and it matters to everybody so don't listen to matt here saying that you have to be a zealot or you, know, you can't be a particular sort of believer uh the, the xander zone has to be his zone he's trying to declare ownership of the xander zone uh, xander zone only belongs to xander doesn't belong to you Matt. <laughs> wow okay wow wow get it getting deep into the identity right. politics right the nes yeah. classic has really got me worked up this week <laughs> <laughs> Um, that, uh, when, when he first makes the video, uh, the first time he says, welcome to the Xander zone and, and that this was supposed to be a catchphrase, I think that was supposed to, supposed to be a catchphrase, yes, (laughs) catch on from the movie, um, in a way that, uh, in a way that there is no spoon from the matrix became unintentionally and yet, uh, uh, yet welcome to the Xander zone, uh, did not become despite the efforts of a large scale marketing apparatus. 
um, he's actually he's committed theft and is he's doing a bit of of like distributive justice. He's wrecking a guy's car because the guy's a rich asshole, uh, right? I don't recall. It's been a minute. Um, it's right. been since my college great books class since I I experienced the text of Triple X. <laughs> the original, I mean, the original untranslated Triple X, not right. the you know, uh, not the. Um, did you did you read it in the native extreme? I did. Yeah, I did. Right before Not in translation. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you didn't watch it on a bus or an airplane where it's been translated to less extreme uh, viewing experience. No, it it uh, it was in its full extreme uh, viewing experience, uh, including the thing that Yuri says at the club that I won't repeat on the podcast. <laughs> but the uh, uh, about about how to celebrate the end of day. But the. Um, the uh the thing is like the the Xander zone was was originally uh it was not conceived of as a safe space but i i support your mission to reclaim the Xander zone um for all so of the us Xander, so what you're saying is the Xander zone was a hostile place the Xander zone was a threat to the rich guy who owned the car the triple x was vandalizing is that the scene? Is yeah, that, it, I, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That this was like, and this was the thing that, because what he said was, hey, uh, you know, rich asshole, welcome to the Xander zone. Right? Right. And like, so the Xander zone is a zone of sort of, of, uh, of justice, of like uh, a, a kind of, um, not mob justice because not retribution. Yeah, exactly. And a kind, a kind of like restoring an equitable state to the universe when the, when the, uh, equitable, um, when, uh, equitable aspects of the universe have been ruptured. So, uh, yeah. So you may not want to, uh, you may not want to enter the Xander zone, but if so, so you're saying that it's not that the rich guy with the car, sort of unjustly presumed that the parking space where he put the car was safe and did so in some sort of intrusive manner. You're saying that Xander made a zone that was deliberately dangerous and intruded and like and like enforced it upon people, like imposed it upon people. Right. Like it's not that. So so it's sort of like it creates the perception that the rich guy is the bad guy. Yes. Right, because because Xander is is fighting for is an ideologue, right? And he's the ideologue, and he's fighting for something uh, that he that he thinks is important. But of course, Samuel L. Jackson will soon enlist him in a project of state, which will recontextualize what he's doing. But of course, he will continue to be under the impression that he is sort of extreme and he's not following the rules. And you know, he's oh, the things I do for my country, like serve your serve the government, right? Like, uh, but there are there there are there's a principal agent problem though, right. because like what we discover is that you know xander was always xander uh all along like xander was always in the xander zone you know he right. never xander never left the xander zone right you you right, think right, right. that you can you you think that you can control xander and you think that if you make certain kinds of predictions if you put your faith in like demography uh change yeah, look, he, give him a chance give xander a chance to prove himself i mean who's he might not go back to the xander zone he might just stay where he is yeah, uh, working for Samuel L. Jackson. Right. Are you when, saying that- when, when Xander, right? When Xander is uh, summoned up to government service, right? right. That like uh, that Xander might not stay Xander. No, I'm saying that Xander is Xander, and Xander is going to be Xander. I'm saying Xander going to Xander. You, you know, know that stunt that stuntman actually died making Triple X, right? They did the, that stunt where the parasailer went under the bridge, went under the bridge, and yeah, and, at and, that and, moment, I think we talked about it before on the podcast. It's something a lot of people generally know about, right? But you don't see them talking about it now. You don't see like when they're like, oh, Triple X is coming out. And by the way, people have died. Sure. Because of Triple X in the past. Right. But no, it's okay. It's fine. Xander Zone all over again. Right. Damn the consequences. Right. <laughs> <laughs> We're pretty deep in the Xander Zone right now. Yeah, we've, we've gone like. <laughs> Do you want to answer the question of the week, Max? I feel, like, I feel like the vehicle of the metaphor has stayed consistent, and yet the tenor has changed a couple times <laughs> since you started your answer. It, it, is, it is somewhat of an extreme – yeah, it's, it's like, mo, it's like mobile, mogul skiing, right? Or, I guess it's snowboarding. It's, it's as if you were picking some sort of uh, non-standard device to descend rapidly down a hill, but to be buffeted in various directions and to quickly and abruptly change tack, mm. uh, which is essentially the, the mission statement of the X Games, right? Is that right. that's what you do, right? Uh, and so that's what we're doing. I we're feel being... like, yeah, exactly. We're we're practicing extreme discourse. Drink, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, I I guess mine. Like I uh, I uh, 
was uh, riding. I was riding my motorcycle home um, this evening, and uh, as as the sun was setting, the moon was rising, and the 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 moon, the super moon, um, was enormous. It was down near the horizon. It was enormous. It was so bright. Uh, you could see the the sort of topography of the moon in you know in such sharp relief, in such high contrast and you could sort of resolve all the little all the little details um it was freaking was, was bob Seger playing or did he just start coming out of the air <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> as you're zipping on your motorcycle down hollywood boulevard with that giant saucer moon up there right like <laughs> yeah it was pretty i mean it was pretty you know it it's uh, so great it was good. Me chills. It yep. was on. It, it, it would be unsafe to play uh, to play music in your head while you ride a motorcycle, but it's yeah, um, it's uh, uh, it's pretty amazing. And uh, and and honestly, it was freaking me out a little bit. So so the thing I would like to miniaturize a little bit is the uh, the celestial body orbiting the Earth. The- <laughs> The moon. The consequences, Matt. Think of the terrible consequences. No, I'm not. I'm. I. I need to blow up this system, Pete. I, <laughs> like I, you know, I felt. I felt really. Uh, I felt. I've been feeling alienated by the moon for a long, long time, and no oh. one's been paying attention to my feelings. To my hey, feelings Matt, about the moon. I appreciate that. You have gone through some situations vis-a-vis the moon that have made you unhappy. And I will tell you that we are committed to tide management. We're committed to urban lighting, right? We're committed to all these things. But if someone is coming along here telling you that they can shrink the moon, they're not telling the truth. Want- and that's something that you have to understand, which it sounds patronizing when I tell you that, of course. No, I mean, I'm, I'm saying make the moon small again, you know? That's... <laughs> That's that's all I want, you know, and, and once we do that, like once I do that, like Cincinnati, I'm going back to my farm, you know, I'm going, uh, you're done. Yeah. I'm I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to engage in, in, uh, you know, moon politics anymore. I'm, I'm, uh. I mean, that's your right. That's your prerogative, you know, to ride. I mean, certainly, certainly every American has the right to ride their motorcycle down Santa Monica Boulevard looking up at a giant supermoon. I mean, that's that's like pretty much what freedom is all about. Right. right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just saying that there might be a couple of different levels of abstraction between that and kind of decisions vis-a-vis the celestial bodies and their orientation. Uh-huh. But uh, but if someone comes along and says that it's simple and if that strikes something that you feel, I don't want to marginalize your feelings. Yeah, I but Pete, there's a, I mean, there's a word for what you're saying about the you know the powerful forces controlling the universe that I can't I don't really have any agency in affecting you know that I don't have any real power to to control so and, uh, and that and, that, and yeah. that that word is elitism Pete you are you are an you are an elitist I thought you were going to say gravity I thought you were going to say gravity is you know what, natural you know what gravity is just a theory okay <laughs> look it up it's the theory if, of gravity the moon's small it will destroy the Earth's aquological ecosystems. The tides will be will be wrecked. If if you make it too small without changing its, think about if you make the moon smaller, but it conserves momentum, right? The orbit of the moon will become highly erratic, and the moon could collide with the Earth in a cat. Like it would be like the uh, the Stephen Baldwin movie uh, Moon. Was it Earth Storm? About yeah. how it's like Armageddon but with the moon. Yeah, okay, you don't want that to happen. You know what, Pete? <laughs> it could, it couldn't be any worse than what we have now. All right, are you ready to to leap to uh, leap out of the to leap out of the thing? To, are we doing a commercial or no commercials on this? No, ride? no, no commercials. This is an unsponsored podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this is no. There is no commercial agenda behind this podcast. And and uh, if you if you're with us this far, if you've come in this like uh, uh, twenty three and a half minutes into the podcast, <laughs> like we know we know you're a true overthinker uh, and a true believer. So. Let's uh, let's drop the metaphors for a minute and and talk about what we're actually talking about, which is the NES Classic and the comments on the Amazon page for it. Yeah. And I want to extend this because and I think it's relevant. And we've obviously been implying discussion of the presidential election all week. And we don't necessarily want to talk too directly about that because we know that our listeners might have different kinds of beliefs, but also because this is a pop culture podcast. Maybe you tuned in to hear about pop culture and certainly we want you to have fun and enjoy yourselves. But also we're going to talk about what we're going to talk about. Well, wait, you, so, got your, you got your money's worth out of out of yeah. this podcast. You heard about the uh, NES Classic and you heard about the Xander so, Zone. So, it's so po- I want to. 
<laughs> I want to talk about it's it's the NES classic, and we'll come back to it. But I want to say that there's three uh, electronic entertainments with which I've recognized similar phenomena, and I think they're also related uh, to all this political stuff we've been alluding to. And 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 it's an interesting broader topic which relates to all a lot of different kinds of things. Uh, the three are the NES classic edition. Civilization Six and Pokemon Go and the current state of Pokemon Go. But I want to go back to the NES Classic Edition, which is uh, it's a tiny Nintendo, in case you hadn't heard. Uh, it, it was announced somewhere in the summer, like maybe July. There was a, a flurry of pre-orders for it in July, but it wasn't going to come out till November. A lot of people didn't really see it as, as an imminent thing. Uh, and if you didn't pre-order it in July or maybe August – you are pretty SOL for pre-ordering it. And in classic Nintendo style, going all the way back to Zelda to The Adventure of Link, Nintendo has kind of deliberately, it seems deliberately, although I don't think they've said this, deliberately underproduced the product in order to drive up excitement about it. Either that, or they couldn't possibly have fathomed that a small device that plays games that you can play a hundred other ways that are currently available probably for free to you by illegal means, right? Like, would suddenly be this hot ticket item that everybody would want, just because it was it was kawaii right because it was small and cute and awesome um but uh, but but there's not enough nintendo classic editions to go around to the people who want it the ebay the rates are up to like 180 dollars last i checked to buy one of these things the retail price suggested retail price is, is 59.99 so people are marking this up by like a factor of two a factor of three um i haven't checked uh so far right i actually Believe it or not, I'd actually ordered one marked up to about 150 because my girlfriend had expressed interest in it, and I and she had also expressed doubt that I could get one, right? And so I was like, oh, I could get one. What are you talking about? I love Nintendo. I'll do it. I'll go to GameStop and stand online at six in the morning, right? I'll I'll go do whatever's necessary. And then I was like, I'll just pay 150 dollars, right? That's what I'll do, and it's a lot of money. Uh, but then my order got canceled because whoever had posted on eBay didn't have the NES Classic ah, edition. Oh. So I got my comeuppance and. Uh, uh, and so why then, you never buy securities on margin. Uh, yes, yes. And, and, and why in general you should be careful about committing a lot of cash in advance for something before your promised delivery. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, but at any rate, I ended up I ended up just getting lucky and grabbing one. Amazon made a few of them available at five o'clock on Friday, Eastern time to Pacific. And I was sitting there at 458, just refreshing and refreshing. And they put in a sort of convoluted intermediate step where you had to go to a secondary vendor if you were on the first page. And I just think I figured it out fast and ordered it fast. And I managed to luck out and got one. But the point is that people were really excited about this thing. And then once the orders weren't filled for a lot of people. And once a lot of people couldn't get it, uh, the the Amazon rating for this thing crashed. Uh, it's now got 3,049 reviews as of as of this this recording. And the average is uh, one and a half star. And that's 10 percent are five star reviews. Two percent, four, two percent, three, one percent, two, eighty five percent of the of the more than three thousand reviews for the NES Classic Edition on Amazon are one star reviews. And I, I have to presume that it's because and it's not that I have to presume I've been reading them. Right. Uh, a lot of them are because people just couldn't get it and they were upset that they couldn't get it. And their reaction to the their being upset that they couldn't get it was to like really try to bomb this thing from orbit, right? And it's the difference, and this is this is the difference, right, between everybody was unhappy and the ratings affect the general level of unhappiness that everybody has, which I don't think is the case. I think most people are largely indifferent to the NES Classic Edition. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And if anything, people are like a little bit positive about it and think it's cute when they find out about it. But there's a specific group of people that are very upset about it. And not only are they very upset, but I think that there is sort of a group behavior that either is directed or emerges of people deliberately voicing like a great deal of upset about it so as to sort of possess the space in which it lives. Right. To be like the space that the NES – because the NES – because Nintendo didn't do for me what I wanted or because I want to pressure Nintendo to do something different than what they did, I am going to make the space around the NES Classic a Xander zone. I'm going to make it a space of retribution, right? And I'm going to make it an an, an, an angry place. Um, and and, and I, I do want to say that you kind of have to make a leap because there's intent implied in this, right, which you don't really know. 
And, and, and I'm, I'm wondering, I'm willing to entertain the possibility that people aren't doing this as a sort of pressure exerting collective action. And hey, even if they are, it's not the worst thing in the world. They want the video game system. Yeah. But at the same time, they're also kind of creating a sense, they're creating a sense of kind of the destruction of the value of this thing, right? Because if more people go on Amazon and see this thing as one star, they might not buy it. And it's this idea that it's this brinkmanship game where I'm going to burn it all down, right? Nobody's going to want this thing. Right. Uh, the dominant feeling about it is going to be bad because of the collective action I'm taking to get people to be different than how it is. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that and and yeah, it, it involves it involves a kind of bad faith because it involves hijacking. Uh, it involves hijacking a mechanism that's meant to serve one function to serve another function right 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 exactly yeah, that's a really great point because the stars are supposed to reflect i think the stars on an amazon purchase and i mean i might be wrong and like all sorts of postmodern things these things are up for interpretation the stars on an amazon uh uh, products are supposed to be reflecting of like how happy the product will make you, how much the product will satisfy you, how the quality of the product were you to buy it. I don't think that there's generally it's generally expected that they're discounted in this way, right? Like like a Ferrari doesn't get one star because you can't afford it, right? Right, right. Like, uh, and that's a different reason than the S Classic Edition. I mean, yeah, there's the issue of the scalpers and stuff and the pricing. And that's a whole other question of like, well, if you're creating artificial scarcity in this time and place of very liquid secondary markets for consumer goods with eBay and other stuff, uh, can you really expect to maintain artificial scarcity and not make people upset? Right. You're just going to have the price get set and people are going to clear the price and all that stuff. But this, but that, uh, this is, a, by the way, there's a problem with Hamilton tickets. Uh, in, oh, yeah. Get into that for a little, because that seems on, on message oh, uh, for well, us, and also metaphorically important. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying, Pete, is how how does the bastard orphan, son of a whore and a Scotsman, dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean by providence, impoverished and in squalor, grow up to be a hero and a scholar? I, I don't know. You don't that, have an answer. Well, is that the, from the show? Is that yeah, a reference to something? That, those are the first. Is that like David has pumpkins? Is it from something? Am I supposed to know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and your your bewilderment is part of it. Um, <laughs> the uh, yeah, those are the first words in uh, Lin Manuel Miranda's Hamilton. Um, right. The uh, uh, you know so because there are um, a number of very efficient secondary markets for. Uh, tickets to live events um, like StubHub and and SeatGeek and I, I mean there are a lot of them. Um, uh, yeah, Shmoop to Boop and like Be- a Bez Buzz. <laughs> Buzz Bez. Ticketmaster has XXX. Ticketmaster has one has one itself, and that I mean that strikes me as as being you know. That Ticketmaster scalps itself. Yeah, exactly. That strikes me as being like a conflict of interest, but you know, a little bit like what are you going to do? Someone should go to Congress and talk to them about Ticketmaster. Is all I'm saying. That's something that should happen at some point. Maybe someone can time travel back to the past and talk to Ticketmaster in front of talk about Ticketmaster in front of Congress before all this has happened. Um, is, is Eddie Vedder up to anything? Maybe. <laughs> Uh, the um, welcome to the Vetter Zone. <laughs> Sorry, more like welcome to the Vetter Zone. He was in the Vetter Zone. He's always in the third person, right? Oh, sometimes he's the first person. The, um, you know, Pearl Jam is actually the first, uh, the first band I know that played the um, the polo grounds out in India, which now is where Coachella and Desert Trip and like India. Is in India, Indio, uh, in, oh, Indio. Indio, with an O, uh, the, which is out out past Palm Springs in California. It's where Coachella is held, and where uh, um, Old Coachella uh, Desert Trip was held was held recently. But anyway, because of the rise of a, a number of like uh, super efficient secondary markets for tickets, people were buying Hamilton tickets and then scalping them, um, scalping them immediately. And the price, I, I think, when at its peak, went up to about twenty five hundred dollars a seat for a Broadway play, which is from a certain, for, I, I don't know how to feel about it a little bit. Well, no, I know how I feel about it, but uh, I don't know how to theorize about it, right? Like from a certain point of view, it's obscene. Uh, from another point of view, haven't we always wanted theater to be successful, right? Like our, our you know, um, 
is a, a, right among our sort of cohort of of uh, artsy progressives. Has it not always been? Well, why isn't the American theater successful? Well, there's there is successful American theater, like to the point where people are willing to pay, uh, you know, uh, uh, like two or three large per seat to uh uh to go to go see it like from a certain point of view isn't that isn't that a good thing um but but also hamilton doesn't see a lot of that money right well so this is what happened right they didn't see yeah. any they didn't see any of that money cuz they only get the face value on uh they only get the face value on the ticket less whatever you know whatever ticketmaster takes and the um so the, when they started selling the like the second year of the show after the original cast left they sold a small number of seats at i think like a buck 75 and then uh, i mean 175 dollars or thereabouts right and uh and then uh the rest of the seats were going to be 850 dollars a seat for this for this broadway show and they set that price by looking at the secondary market analyzing it over a, a long period of time because they had a long time to look at um how those prices moved and they um uh you know they they uh, set set the price based on that and you know they're they're they keep selling out they're going to be sold out forever uh this you know this is so so from a certain well and anyway this is this is what you're this is what you're talking about when like in the in the, an era of like super liquid uh secondary markets where where the prices the prices will be set right like we, did Nintendo make a mistake not pricing the the NES classic at a buck 50 uh out the gate you know, or but then that sounds absurd because that's how much it cost when it was new, right? Right, right? And, that, and in like, but of course that's in in nineteen eighty five dollars. But it's like, it, it's almost as if a sixty dollar Nintendo is worth two hundred dollars, but a hundred and fifty dollar Nintendo is worth fifty dollars, right. <laughs> which just doesn't make sense. But uh, but I mean, this is this is this is sideways from the initial point, but so is a lot of stuff we talk about, and it's interesting. This this and also this is this idea of the rage at the pricing, right? Like if it had been more expensive, such that if you wanted to pay for it, you could have gotten it. Well, right, and this this is thing about uh, yeah, sorry. Finish your sentence before. No, 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 no. That, that's that's fine. That's pretty much where it is. This is uh, dot, the, dot dot in ninja in true ninja Gaiden style. <laughs> dot 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 question mark. Right. <laughs> the um the the uh, interesting thing about the phenomenon of the the Hamilton tickets, which is an economically rational, like every almost every development has been economically rational, right? Uh, is the amount of rage, like the amount of animus oh. that's been that's been directed. Uh, at, at them, at them, right? And Not, like, and, and, and effective the effective market price of the tickets hasn't even necessarily changed, right? No, it's right. it's it's stayed the same, if anything, yeah. and uh, it's just that the um, uh, it stayed the same or actually gone down probably since the original cast left, and it's just that the actual creators uh, of the show and Hamilton did a deal to profit share with the original. Uh, performers who saw it through a number of developmental readings and contributed uh, in the form of their labor and the form of their ideas contributed to the development of this economic juggernaut, right? So they've, they have like gone out of their way to be more, uh, more like redistributive than is the norm in, in situations like this, right? Like they're, the, the upshot is that they're capturing more of that. They're capturing more of the market, uh, for for tickets to their thing, and yet it's provoked, um, it's it's provoked so much. It's provoked so much rage. Anyway, I feel like we've gotten we've gotten pulled off the um, we've gotten pulled off the yeah, uh, the. Let me, let me. I'll go back to the three things I was talking about. If you want, if you want to get back in the Xander zone, I do. Let's let's yeah. uh, let's dive right. Let's uh, so, base jump right back into the Xander zone. So. Uh, um, and I'm not saying that I'm looking down on people who are upset about something that they have a good reason to be upset about. What I'm talking about is orchestrating mass upsets and then kind of blaming somebody else for it, right? Directing it at somebody else. And and I, and I connect this with this idea uh, that I think one of the stated big stated goals of, of ISIS, ISIL, right, which is just such a fascinating mission that they have, really. I'm not saying I'm not saying you should get to know them, but they're doing some interesting work, right, is, is ISIS. <laughs> 
<laughs> which is the goal of ISIS, right, is to launch sufficient attacks uh, in the name. And this is, I mean, I've read this in the newspaper. Maybe this isn't, I know it's a territorial battle involving Kurdistan and Syria and northern Iraq and all this stuff. Um and Turkey and Syria, and there's proxy wars with Russia and all this other stuff. But the the point is, I think that that sort of messaging wise, what ISIS wants is to provoke reactions from the West that that convince Muslims in the Middle East and in the West that there is not a gray zone between the Islamic State and and the West. Right, the gray zone, and particularly like the the Christianized slash kind of rational atheistized West. Right, this idea that there is that right now there's a way in which these things kind of work together, and there's a place that you can be in the middle, and and you can you do that, and you can participate in the West, right, and you can participate in the Middle East, and this creates kind of a, a center, and, and there's a bunch of theory, and I wish Ryan was on, and he would talk about the political science theory behind it. We could talk about median voters and all that nonsense. But but the point being that by by provoking a reaction, ISIS eliminates the gray zone and makes it harder for Muslims not to be part of what they're doing, right? And it creates resentment from both sides uh, on these middle people. And so the people, uh, you can talk all you want about what these people who are in the middle might want, but it's not them who are creating the environment. It's not they're 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 being acted upon, right? Like let's not pretend that the people in the middle aren't being acted upon. That they just sort of make decisions arbitrarily, right? And that they sort of are like floating in this. That all they're doing is cruising down their motorcycle on Santa Monica Boulevard, looking at the moon, and and they're going to go with whoever's nice to them. Yeah, no, right? that, like, that moon is exercising a gravitational pull. Yeah, know? exactly. The moon is pulling them, and the motorcycle is pushing them. But but I want to talk about this in terms of Pokemon Go, right? Where if you Pokemon Go, of course, is not nearly as popular as it once was, as far as I can tell. Uh, they've certainly been throwing a lot of bonuses at you. I actually still play a little bit. My girlfriend still plays a little bit. We found a Pikachu at the gym the other day. It was awesome, right? Uh, then they did a whole Halloween promotion, and they've been throwing in new gamification to their game, which the fact that it didn't have that kind of raises some questions. But but at any rate, um, that that the in my experience, the online presence right now uh, related to Pokemon Go is tremendously negative. Just, just deeply negative, and it's negative. It's instrumentally negative. It's that people go out, and I mean, a lot of my experiences through Reddit, which is not an, in, a neutral place to go. And I can tell you, you probably shouldn't go there. But I can also tell you, you shouldn't scalp Hamilton tickets. So what are you going to do, right? Um, it's not good <laughs> for you. But, uh, but at any rate, um, people want to pressure Niantic. Right. And to a lesser extent, the Pokemon company and to a misled extent, Nintendo, thinking that it's directly involved in the game, which it's not to make updates and changes to the game. And as such, they rage and complain constantly and work really hard to kind of shift public opinion against the game in this expected game of brinksmanship, where it's like, well, okay, now I'll have to succumb to what you want. But the problem, of course, is that Niantic is not responsive to what people complain about. Never has been right. Ingress. People from Ingress could tell you about that. Right. It's just not going to happen. Right. People are not going to get what the Pokemon Go Errati are demanding, right? And if you're in the middle, if you're in that gray zone where you're like, I like Pokemon Go, I want to learn more about it. I don't really know what the Pokemon appraisals mean. I'm going to go to a message board and find out. And it's all like, oh, this game's terrible. It's awful. I had a horrible time. Here's a bunch of pictures of me having a horrible time. Uh, Niantic fixed this. It's garbage. It's unplayable. And then that's what you encounter. Then it's like, oh, oh, no, I don't like this game. This is bad, Right. And so this fun experience that you were having with this game, this value that's been added to your life, uh, yeah, maybe it wasn't doing everything for you that you wanted. Maybe you wanted it to be different than it was. Uh, the point is that it's act, it's been acted upon. And you you could have decided that, like a lot of people, I just don't want to play Pokemon Go anymore. It's just not good, right? I don't like it, right? And maybe you're like that. Or maybe you're like, no, I like Pokemon Go despite its flaws. It's got some problems, but I like it, right? The point is that once you get into certain circles of discourse – once you enter the Xander zone, the place of retribution, right, uh, the predominant <laughs> feeling is of like, this is terrible. This is bad. You are you also ought to feel this way about it. And it acts, has influence on people. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, is there is there a third one or did, did you hit yeah, the civilization third one? six? Okay. Civilization six is heading this way. Yeah, uh, it's similar. Right. Um, it came out a month ago. It hasn't been patched yet. Uh, it's widely believed that when you have a big AAA launch, 
uh, the, the developers get a week or two off after the launch huh. because it's a lot of work to get the game out. Can you confirm or deny that as a software professional? I, no, I don't know. I don't actually work in video games. I work in, in web development. So it's a different yeah. it's a different sort of thing. We're at the grindstone pretty much 52 weeks yeah. a year. Of course, video games isn't your thing. You're not your video game. I'm also not uh, an employee. I'm a, I'm a, yeah. I'm an agency. So uh, right. I, I like if I'm not at the grindstone 52 weeks a year, something's terribly wrong. Yeah. And I get the sense from the people talking about civilization that there's an effort to try to shift the feeling around the game in a very negative direction so as to force Firaxis to Y2K you know, games or whatever it is uh, to to patch the game faster. I don't think they can necessarily. I mean, yes, they might. And maybe they uh, they ought to communicate more. They might communicate more. There's a question of are you going to respond to it? Are you able to respond to it? Yeah, I mean, these right? things. Well, it, it's a little bit like it's the the way that I deal with this kind of, that I kind of roll my eyes and, and shake my head at, at discourses of this type are, are really around entertainment industry things, because that's an industry I do have a bit of a window in just because of where I grew up and some people I know and and stuff like that. And that, you know, the, the idea there are non-trivial information infrastructure problems with like it, it's like turning a crew it's like turning a, an aircraft carrier or stopping an aircraft carrier right like it's right. it's uh it's many many nautical miles um you can't turn those things you can't turn those things on a dime yeah. there there are non-trivial infrastructure uh there's non-trivial infrastructure in place supporting decisions that were made and you can't just you can't just blow that up and i mean uh, you know pache yeah. the american electorate you can't yeah. just blow that the up american industrial midwest Right. Right. Yeah. Um, So, I I mean, okay. I have a couple of I mean, I have a couple of things that like uh, I have a couple of things that that I want to say about uh, uh, about about what you're saying. And and one is that, like, it it seems to me that it's a point that you make often on the podcast, you Pete Mm -hmm. specifically, that you can't always separate the thing from the experience of the thing. Right. Yeah. And that those things are that those things are are uh, bound up together that you can't like there it's it's impossible maybe to to examine a capital r reality situation um and we should maybe not we should maybe try to decentralize that to to kind of get over the primacy of that um intellectually because any reality that's out there is experienced subjectively by us and that subjective experience is is open to interpretation right um and, right. And I'm a little like I like I guess I guess my buddy Emmanuel Kant would have something to say about this, right? Like that that there is a thing in itself out there. Um and and there are ways, there kind of are ways intellectually that you can get at it. Uh it it's not just it's not just Descartes, right? And it's not just Bishop Barclay. It's not just a total uh, rational deductive reality, and it's not just total yeah. uh, experiential sensational um, uh, sensational reality. That there there probably is a way of kind of mediating uh, mediating well, between those uh, mediating between those a little bit, but like the, the, you know, I don't know. Do you, do you, but let me put it this way. Do you not enjoy your, uh, your NES classic because people have said awful things about it on the internet? I mean, I, I, I feel like it's impacted my feelings about Pokemon go a little bit. Um, but I like the NES classic a lot and we're enjoying it a lot. It hasn't, it hasn't dulled my uh, affection for the NES classic at all. I just get very, I get very suspicious and it's like, it's going to hurt other people's enjoyment of it. Right. Um, I mean, I guess, I guess what I would say is, uh, if you actually don't like it, I guess, yeah, I mean, I bring it up a lot. Right. And it's, it's a real, it's a real, it's a real problem. This idea of, you know, you can't extract subjectivity from it. And then you're, you basically have to, there's different, there's a shift in heuristic that happens, right. Where like, uh, what what you use a different way of thinking and talking depending upon the kind of question that you're trying to answer or the kind of problem that you're trying to solve. Sure, or, or depending on your own depending on your own biases about the the thing that's under consideration at, at any given. Yeah, but but that's that's not the heuristic issue. That like the heuristic issue is more like uh, the any so if you actually experienced 
Okay, so so on one hand, in one heuristic, if the goal, if the one heuristic is I'm reading everybody's opinions about the NES Classic online, and I want to find out whether people online like the NES Classic or not, and the heuristic is like I'm gonna okay, I'm gonna read people's opinions and I'm gonna see what they think. I can't really make much of a distinction between people who make their uh, opinion sincerely and people who make it uh, like sort of insincerely but instrumentally, right? People who lie about how they really feel in order to affect an outcome. From my perspective, in terms of that heuristic of like, well, how do people feel? What are people saying? Like, I can't really make much. I can guess, but I can't really know. Amazon right? has actually tried to address this in their comments yeah. by by uh, putting a badge next to people who actually bought the thing, right? And right. it's like an Amazon verified buyer review. So, so yeah. their answer is elitism. Right. right. Well, there you go. I mean, that elitism is the easy answer to a lot of these questions and yet brings its own problems. Right. Well, only let people talk who've been cleared. Right. <laughs> and that way you'll be fine. But but the other the other heuristic would be potentially um, what if this is like what if this is like a negotiation? Right. What if there's a negotiation that's happening and I'm trying to uh, talk with somebody about the NES classic um like, like, I don't know. I'm trying to think about the yeah, situation. But the, 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 the problem is, and this, this is what I was saying about like entertainment news before and people who sort of wax, uh, uh, who wax outraged about, you know, this or that development in, uh, in the entertainment industry without necessarily knowing what's, what's going on. Right. Like, um, you can have a negotiation, but you can't really have a negotiation without understanding who the principles are, what the, you know, what the, the terms of the deal are and what the constraints on, on everybody's ability to make changes are, you know, like you can't, I mean, you can enter into it and negotiative sort of heuristic without having that information right. oh, and right. presuming you, it or guessing at it. You can delusionally, or, you can delusionally assume that you're, that you're in a not, negotiation. It's not delusion. You can make your best guess, right? Like you can, I, I have to think that there are negotiating tactics for situations where you don't actually know who you're negotiating with. Right. Like if you're if, like, there's best practices, there's like probabilistic outcomes, but it's different. It's a different heuristic, right? Like it's – you don't know. I guess you're – you know, like like what if you go – like you go up to a, a convenience store. Somebody has attacked a target and is taking a whole bunch of people hostage and is demanding an NES Classic Edition, right? Uh, and you walk up to it. You don't really know what's happening on the inside of the target, and you have to begin a negotiation with the person who's inside in that kind of frame of reference. Like, well, what do you presume? What do you, what do you start from? Where do you, where do you uh, – what do you try to figure out? What do you try to do first? Right. And one of the big things is you try to figure out if there's try to establish some sort of good faith. Right. You have to try. You try to establish some sort of good faith. Otherwise, the negotiation is going to be very difficult to carry out. Right. Like um, some sort of way in which the two of you can can actually sort of believe what each other are saying. And if you can't, that's going to have effects on the negotiation. So, right? uh, I mean, a, a couple more things strike me about what we're saying. Like the three okay. examples, the three big examples that you give are all examples of sort of uh, large groups of people dealing with a for profit company. Right. And uh and and in in general in the general theme of what you're saying well okay uh, dealing with a for profit company and i think this is of a piece like if this is our election special right like <laughs> <laughs> then it's telling i think that um that what you're talking about is people who are interacting with uh businesses of of which they are customers and not citizens. Right. And I think that I, 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 I suspect that, and I've said this on the podcast before, I suspect that if, if you were to ask me something as awful as this on my deathbed, like what are the major uh, political or intellectual movements you have observed in your, in your lifetime, Matt, please don't do that. Uh, note to my, you know, future progeny or what, or, you know, doctors, <laughs> this is an advanced direct, <laughs> this is an advanced directive. Don't ask me that question. Um, but I, I have a feeling that I could honestly say that, uh, one, one of the main ones has been the, the, uh, the rise of a com consumer mentality supplanting the, the idea of citizenship, uh, or of group membership. And I, I think you totally see that in the election. Sorry, go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. And that, and right. And, and I think that that's, so I think that it's telling that, that in talking about this, um, the examples, right, that come to mind, the, the obvious metaphors so that we on the overthinking a podcast can talk about the election without talking about the election are, um, are groups of people expressing displeasure at, uh, companies of which which they are consumers and not of like polities of which they are, uh, of which they are citizens. Number two, um, 
you're talking about a kind of polarization or kind of an elimination of uh, elimination of gray elimination of gray areas or of a kind of nuance or ambivalence maybe in in experience right and like that 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 the best way to uh, that it it seems short term rational in a lot of situations to just take the biggest dump you can, right? The, the, just take the biggest smelliest dump you can, and, uh, and and like a big smelly dump is a conversation stopper, right? And that like and to sort of grind to a halt the machinery of uh, you know of whatever system uh, around you. And I wonder if there's not something in America. Institutions in particular that um, uh, that encourages this this sort of thing, right? Like like in contrast to a parliamentary system where you kind of have to build coalitions, um, the American system with its focus on institutional checks and balances seems to encourage uh, seems to elevate the power of the veto, the power of obstruction above um, the power of coalition. And it, it, it becomes short-term rational in a lot of situation in uh, actually almost all situations to uh, retrench, to hold out, to obstruct and to to wait until you're, um, uh, you know, to to wait until the shoe is on the other foot, or to to uh, rather rather than seeing what you can get done, guarantee that that you can't get anything done. Yeah, and, and I think that's I mean that's checks and balances. That's a feature, not a bug. That's what it's designed to do in a lot of ways. Right, right. right. But to, the, yeah. but but there are political systems that are designed without without that feature. Yep. Uh, that seem not that they don't have their own. I'm not, you know, look, I'm not, I'm not like grass is oh, no, greener no. guy, but like, but that, that don't, that don't seem to encourage the, the levels of extremism or that, that don't seem to encourage the levels of, uh, at least in political life, don't seem to encourage the, the levels of uh, obstructionism. I mean, there was a Brexit, right? Like the, the, the extremism, the extremism comes unbidden uh even yeah. if but but it does seem to me that a checks and balances based political system um where the the kind of the veto is the most is the most important thing rather than the kind of the compromise um does uh does lead to a uh polarization i mean does kind of institutionalize polarization uh in a way that that other systems of of government may may not and this is like this is like this is the phenomenon of the the distributed des- denial of service attack right this is the ddos you know uh it's a political ddos uh it's a it's a way of like it's a way of sort of shut of laying down in the street uh like laying down in the highway so that no one can um, so that no one can pass, uh, and and you have to be uh, placated or or dealt with yeah. or addressed in in and, and everybody has people that they agree with and people who disagree with who who use that tactic and and capacity within the system, right? Like right. And this, but, uh, by the way, this is the point that I'm always this is the point that I'm always trying to make, and I feel like never quite comes out right, and I always sound like a jerk, oh. uh, a, a jerk for for making it. No, I, I mean I, re- I really feel like I do because you know, look, I do have political con- convictions, and my my point is not necessarily to say that we shouldn't have uh, we shouldn't have political con- convictions, but like you know, my team is going to get hella obstructionist real quick, right? Like yeah, and that's uh um. Um, you know, uh, and, and is going to do exactly the sort of things uh, that that we've been bitching and moaning about um, for a long uh, for for a long, long time now. For a minute now, we've been maybe we've been not talking. exactly. Everybody has their own way. Uh, well, I, no, uh, yeah, but <laughs> but but fair enough. But like in in a system where uh, in a in a system where your power comes from uh, obstruction, the veto, the filibuster, whatever, right? Like uh, you're you're not. Uh, you're sort of not different in kind because because everyone thinks they're on 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 the side of the angels, right? No one gets up and thinks, "How can I?" You know, no one thinks gets uh, well. No one gets up and thinks, uh, "How can I be the worst version of myself today?" <laughs> <laughs> anyway, th- uh, right? Th- these are the things that strike me when when you're talking about what you're uh, when you're talking about what you're talking about with the. Um, with the elimination, uh, with the elimination of gray areas in 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 certain 
certain aspects of, of the discourse. And it feels, it feels difficult to bridge. It feels difficult. It's, it's difficult to bridge divides when you are uh, committed to the elimination of gray areas, you know, well, then uh, you're not bridging. If you bridge the divide and the gray area is going away, then what happens is you lose. Right. <laughs> it's like, well, you know, I was trying to build, you know, to reach hands across the way and, and then all oh, the, the bridge fell, right? Like, uh, uh, it kind of depends on where the bridge is, but no, it is, it's tough to, it's, it's tough to go out. I mean, I mean, look, these, when you think about civilization, Pokemon, NES classic edition, mutual obstruction is not outcome neutral, Right. Like it's like, well, on one hand, you know, the users could obstruct by protesting so much that it hurts the favorability of the NES Classic and nobody buys it. On the other hand, Nintendo could obstruct by like not giving anything to the people who are complaining about the fact the NES Classic uh, didn't come out in a in high enough numbers. In both situations, the outcome is fairly similar, which is that people fewer people play and enjoy the NES Classic. Right. It's, it's like is And again, this is the idea of like, well, yeah, people are consumers, but they're consumers because they're exchanging something they have for something that they want or need. And they're not going to get it. Right. And they're not going to get it. Uh, and the only place in which you actually get an NES classic is the gray space where everybody is, is excited about it and hears about it a little bit. And, and it doesn't go too far along the backlash side. And it doesn't go too far along the sort of controlling uh, side by the manufacturer. And they don't give it all and they don't communicate at all. Like the, the gray space is where you get to actually play the game. And uh and, well, right, and this- right, 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 and th- and that's the thing. I guess that that's the thing that I'm left with is that like beyond the discourse, uh, you know, beyond the discourse about uh, whether Nintendo did right or wrong, right? Like from from Nintendo according to its ability to the consumers according to their need, I suppose. Like beyond the 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 discourse about about uh, people being outraged that that they didn't get the thing that they wanted for the price that they wanted right when they wanted it. Um, there is an experience of playing the game, right? Like life, life is, life is still lived. Uh, life is still lived. It just, uh, the, the tragedy I think is if life gets lived in the interstices of the screaming matches rather than the screaming matches happening in the interstices of your, your experience of your life. Yeah. I I think I come away with it from a slightly different angle. Well, I I appreciate what you're talking about. Which is that um, if you are the person who has the capability to take away the gray space, that is a power that should not be denied or 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 like um, bemoaned, right? Or like mourned, right? It's like, oh, you know, that's I just I just wish people would settle down and enjoy the game and just stop doing this. Right. Uh, well, you know what? They're not going to stop it. Uh, the only reason that they would stop it is if their complaints were in good faith. If if they were complaining about the NES Classic Edition because they were actually upset, if they were complaining about civilization mostly because they themselves were unhappy with civilization, then then sure, it'd be like I wish that they would be more happy and then everything would be, would be okay. But if it's if we're not in a good faith space and people are complaining ju- just in order to convince those people in the middle that this is not something, this is bad, right? Like uh, then then you should recognize that the people doing the complaining are the people who have the power. And I, and I mean, a lot of people say, you know, I mean, yeah, it's really important to to forgive and to love and to be generous and to show empathy. But you also got to figure out, like, what's what's your counterpunch if that's the punch? Like in Nintendo situation, what, what could they really do? Right. What could Nintendo really do if they really wanted to change to deal with the people who are trying to uh, make the NES Classic Edition into a locus of hate and bad feeling like what? Well, I mean, they would probably have to produce more NES Classic Editions, right? Like they would probably have to change their, their strategy. And they were, I mean, they could also they could communicate more. They could come out with something else. They could come out with a different promotion. Right. Like, uh, you know, Tesla, when they're dealing with complaints about uh, the Model 3 isn't coming out fast enough, they'll cut the price on the Model S. So they'll do other promotions emotions right like i just i just don't know if it's the kind of thing where if someone's pulling on one end of the rope you have to sort of grab the other end of the rope and pull back 
or also sort of like grab the rope and try to sort of soothe it, right? Soothe the rope, right? Like, uh, no, because the rope's going to pull right out of your hands. You got to find a different rope and you got to pull on that rope. Right. Right. Uh, my, My point in all of this is that like you should be very careful about the rope that you pick up and who's at the other end. Yes, yes. You should recognize when you're when you are uh, being catfished or gaslit by a one star Amazon review uh, or a two thousand dollar Hamilton ticket. Right. Because, uh, yeah, the thing the thing about good faith complaints is that they can be addressed. Right. Like like there there is a there is a there is a path forward. But if if people are just trying to take the smelliest dump that they can uh, so that you will leave the neighborhood. You know, then then it's not uh, uh, then you're not in a uh, you're not in a a sort of good faith discourse. Basically, what you got to figure out is whether in your given Xander zone, you are the Xander. Right. Or whether you are merely in the club scene about to watch a a kind of like Healy rollerblade kung fu fight. Right. Like uh, if you are merely that, uh, then then yeah, then then you're not really in a position of influence. Uh, as it were. I don't know. It's very this is a convoluted podcast where the tenors and, and vehicles of metaphors have shifted a lot. I'm not exactly sure what I'm saying. I don't know if you're exactly sure what you're saying, but I think we've said said a lot. And and that's what counts. Right. So. <laughs> In political discourse, yes, it's it's quantity, not quality. That's right. for uh, <laughs> that's for sure. I mean, it's it. Well, I will say it's a national tragedy that more people didn't vote up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right. B.A. Start. <laughs> This has been the Overthinking It podcast. I'm Matt Rather. That's Pete Fenzel. He's Fenzelian, F-E-N-Z-E-L-I-A-N, meaning pertaining to Fenzel on Twitter. I'm M Rather, M-W-R-A-T-H-E-R on Twitter. I don't think we really use Twitter, though, so I don't know why we we give those out anymore. I'm on there sometimes. I'm on there sometimes. It seems like people who are active in political discourse use Twitter a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So it seems like an appropriate thing to say. Uh, Listen, we'll be back with more Overthinking It podcast podcast next week till then visit us on the web at overthinking it where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it It probably doesn't deserve you know matt you could have been a little bit less of an elitist if you'd said up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B-A, select, start. Share the wealth, man. Contra was meant to be played with friends. <laughs>